0: I hope everyone is doing well on this beautiful Sunday morning after a week of rain and nastiness, um, But uh, before I get started in the sermon, I did want to give an update on my brother, uh, as you may have seen from Facebook, saw his name on the prayer list. Uh, my brother was diagnosed with colon cancer, still weird to say. Um, last week, I uh, had surgery on Tuesday to remove the cancer and was able to go home yesterday. Uh, with the good news that the lymph nodes that they took out uh, all came back clear. So that is excellent uh, and incredible, and uh, we're still a little in shock at the diagnosis. Uh, He is a 52-year-old man that uh, you just don't expect that, Uh, but that's why they have those checkups and routines and things so that they can find those early enough uh, to the where there's not big damage. Uh, And so uh, as I say that, uh, we are continually looking for uh, to the God that is truly in control, and God's provision and God's providence uh, has taken over this situation, but also, uh, as we get started in our sermon today, uh, one thing that I've learned over the last year uh, is that things can change very quickly uh, in life. Uh, who would have thought uh, that just over a year ago, or just under a year ago, uh, we went from a packed sanctuary uh, to a sanctuary with just the staff, an iPad looking at the piano, and an iPhone in the middle of the room. Uh, because we're all uh, forced to, or encouraged to shelter in place. Uh, and so, uh, but things can change on the dime. Uh, things can change very quickly. Uh, and because of that, our, the wisdom of our pastor has always encouraged uh, Ted and I to have a, a sermon in the chamber. Uh, ready, to, ready to be shot off whenever uh, the time arises. Uh, and coming from student ministry where I did a lesson, did a sermon each and every week, I had 16 years uh, of sermons always ready to go. Uh, and before now, or not, this is not one of those times, but uh, what we saw at the end of the year with, um, with Craig's dad and, and things like that, uh, the need to have a sermon ready, uh, became more and more evident. And so God encouraged me uh, to start looking into uh, building a bank of sermons uh, that fits more of how I, uh, my sermon style has changed. In the, believe it or not, my sermon style has changed in the last 20 years. Uh, but, um, but through the teaching of being here at this church and things like that, things have changed. And so God is saying, was telling me, hey, you need to You need to start building up some things. And so I started looking at the book of Daniel and studying the book of Daniel. And as it just so happens, as luck would have it, or side note, the providence of God had it, uh, that uh, Craig and I were talking, he's like, you know, Daniel is the perfect follow-up to Habakkuk. Because everything that's talked about in the book of Habakkuk, uh, with the judgment of God's people, and even the people group that's going to overtake the people of God happens in Daniel. And so uh, Daniel is living in this world that was created by the judgment from God. Uh, And as we have seen already, there are a number of lessons that we can learn from looking at what judgment is coming, but we can also learn how to live in a world that God has allowed to happen because of the judgment. So join me as we look in uh, on the people of God. And so if you'll open your Bibles uh, to Daniel chapter 1, Verse 1, we'll pick up there. And I've also realized today that uh, I'm getting closer to 50 and my eyes are getting worse. So So Dylan, if you could hold the Bible for me, I could probably read it if it's (laughs) out there. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king had inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Y'all pray with me. Holy God, I do thank you for this opportunity and this time to dive into your scriptures as we study uh, the first p- chapter in the book of Daniel. Uh, Lord, your your provision and your providence uh, are, are shown throughout this book. And so, Lord, we ask that you speak to us today. Uh, May the words of my mouth uh, bring honor to you and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, many of you in this room know my oldest, Catherine, Uh, my sweet, sweet little Catherine. Let me let you in on a little secret. Catherine is always not so sweet. I know you don't see it here, but at home... Sometimes a different Catherine comes out, and that different Catherine comes out a lot of times at bedtime because we have figured out that uh, Catherine's least favorite thing in the world to do is to go to sleep at night. And so there are no amount of night lights, closet lights, bathroom lights, uh, or anything else that can dispel the shadows that are scaring her uh, from going to sleep at night. Nor is there any amount of water in the county of Gwinnett that would... uh, quench the thirst that she seems to have right before she goes to bed. We've also figured out that Catherine's favorite thing in the world is to sit down with her tablet, her Kindle, and watch TV shows or watch cartoons or whatever it is. And so uh, in disciplining children and figuring out how to Uh, curb their behavior from behavior that you don't like and don't need to behavior that you do like and do need, uh, you have to find their currency. Catherine's currency is her Kindle. And so when we come to nights like we've had, like we had a few nights ago, where Catherine just would not go to sleep, every little sound bothered her, every little thing bothered her. It comes to the time to use that currency. Now, Catherine, it's time to go to bed. But, Daddy, I just can't go to sleep. I understand that. But if, if this keeps on, we're going to take away your Kindle tomorrow. But, Daddy, you can't take away my Kindle. I can take away your Kindle, and I will take away your Kindle. You just have to go to sleep. Five minutes later. Daddy, I can't go to sleep. I've tried and I've tried. Catherine, it's only been five minutes. But Daddy, I've tried. I just can't go to sleep. Catherine, this is your warning. Kindle's going away tomorrow, and tomorrow's Saturday, so you're going to want that Kindle on uh, tomorrow morning. I just can't. So finally, the third time happens. And me as a dad and disciplining. As much as I hate to do it, the Kindle goes away. The odd thing about it, and the funny thing about it, it the ironic thing about it, is that Catherine gets up the next morning uh, and does not miss her Kindle at all. She finds all these toys that she has neglected, all the Barbies, all, the, all that stuff that takes up space in, our, in the playroom. Uh, she figures out that that's kind of fun to play with now. But I tell you that story, because that's exactly where we are with the uh, Israelites right now, God's people. See, as we learn in Habakkuk and as you learn from the other prophet, God has spent years and years telling his people, look, judgment is coming. Because I made a covenant with you that if you, would, if you would worship me and only me, and if you would adhere to my rules and my guidelines, then I'll take care of you. And there's pages and pages written of the things that they needed to do, but they just refused to do it. They would continue to disobey God. They would continue to worship false gods, and they would continue to live these immoral lives. And so finally it's happened. The people of Judah have been taken over. They have lost their land because of their own actions. They have seen total destruction over their capital city and their temple, and they've been ex- exiled to Babylon. All because they refused to listen, and they continue to worship false gods, and they continue to live immoral lives. They have been expelled from their holy city, and they've been condemned to captivity in a far-off land. It is in this context that we find ourselves in the first chapter of Daniel today. And it all begins with the first point in your outline because it begins with the punishment of God. Now, the author makes it very clear at the very beginning of the book, who is in control here? It's not Nebuchadnezzar. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. But look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Daniel wants you to know from the very beginning that it was, that it was not God who lost, but that he allowed it to happen. However, once Judah was handed over in to the Babylonians, once Judah was handed to Nebuchadnezzar, God wasn't total hands-off, but he's like, this is your punishment. I tried to protect you. I watched over you. I let you know what was coming. And now it's here. Nebuchadnezzar was now in control. So he proceeded to do what he's done with every other people group that he has taken over. See, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't part of the... He, he didn't align himself with, with what other rulers had done. Where you take this people group that you've just conquered and you place them over in a separate prison or, or enslave them. No. He wanted to dilute the population. He wanted to dilute the people group. So he put them out amongst the people. It's where they built their lives and, and did their lives over the next however many years. How do you make something less effective? You add water to it and dilute it. And so that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did with the people of Judah because he knew that if you let them remain like a people group to where they still do have their own customs and and still uh, bond as a people, there's a chance they can come back and rebel and try to get back what they once lost. He knew that if they lost their identity as a people group, then there would be less chance of a rebellion in in the future. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't really stop there. He also wanted to take those people and put them in in positions of leadership. So he took the best and the brightest, the cream of the crop, and put them in places of leadership. The king wanted the best. No matter what nationality they were, since the new hostages of Judah included the finest nobility and royalty, it was reasonable that he wanted to open up some special opportunities to put these gifted men and the and the Royal Academy in Babylon, it was the king's way to bring everyone under the same nationality. Instead of this people group, this people group, this people group, they're all Babylonians. They're all under his rule. And so then Nebuchadnezzar appointed his chief official Ashpenaz uh, to oversee the process of finding the best Jewish elite and bring them to the Royal Academy. I mean, just look at the qualifications in verse 4. Used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. I mean, they weren't messing around. They wanted the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Uh, Parents, these were the boys you wanted dating your daughters. These were the upper echelon. They were the elite from the kingdom. And from what I'm looking around in this room, I'm not sure many of us would make the cut. I mean, Will would. Ted probably would. Me and Craig, we'd be put into exile. And then once they were selected, they weren't put in some room off by themselves, they were given the finest education that was available. They were given the finest food, the food from the king's table, the drink from the king's table. It was the best that there was. And this was all available to them for three entire years while they were educated and brought into the ideas that Nebuchadnezzar and, and their gods that they worshiped, uh, that they were all a part of. And then as we get into verses 6 and 7, we we, we begin to to take the camera angle and bring it just a little further in. And we're introduced to our characters of the story. And so in verse 6, we meet our friends. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. All of these were from the tribe of Judah. And you think, oh, they just just changed the names. This lets these guys know, these new Jewish friends that they just brought in, they weren't exactly rolling out the red carpet for them, even though it looked like there was a great deal on their end. I think Nebuchadnezzar really wanted to still show, hey, I've, I'm still in control here. And I'm still going to take away a piece of your identity. Because their identity before, and if you've studied the Bible in any way, you know names are a big deal, their identities before reflected Yahweh God, the supreme God. But then their names were changed. And their names were changed to reflect the gods, the Babylonian gods. And so they're just letting you know, hey, we get it, but you're still under our control. And because of that, we're going to call you something different. Also, I want you to see in verse 6, it's not just these four that make the cut. Many of these Jewish boys made it, Jewish young men. They were brought in. Among these were these four. But it's these four that we're going to learn about. It's these four that took that stand and chose to stand for their God. In these first few verses, God's chosen people are not looking real good. But as we all know, discipline is tough. It's hard to be the parent. From the outside looking in, the God of the Hebrews had failed his people. To the casual observer, their god Yahweh had shown himself to be inferior to the mighty gods of Assyria and Babylon. When the temple was leveled and ruins were burned, the Babylonian troops served notice to all the world that their gods were mightier than Yahweh. Monotheism was exposed as an empty fraud. These circumstances make the first part of Daniel key to the history of Israel. Yahweh wanted to show the world that he was the all-powerful God that he had claimed to be. He wanted to show the Hebrews that the Hebrews did not lose their land because he was weak. They lost it because he was strong. He was strong enough to love and discipline his people. He was about to use the same strength and command of nature that he used Back in Egypt, when uh, the last time that the nation of Israel was in captivity, Yahweh did not allow his people to go into captivity out of weakness, but rather to main his, maintain his integrity as a holy God who carries out his covenant promises for the good and bad according to the response of his people. God uses four boys from the tribe of Judah to do just that. Look with me at the next section of our outline. As our story comes into focus just a little bit more, Daniel and his three friends come to this pivotal point in their story as they are faced with a decision that will affect the rest of their lives. As the next point in the outline shows, they begin to take a stand for God. So look at verses 8 through 14 with me. So, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. I think it's important that we observe how they chose to take their stand. The author goes into great detail about how Daniel went in taking his stand with the chief official, so I think we need to pay attention to it. Now, did he go in there and he decided, hey, this is too much, the food is enough, you changed my name, you changed my location, I'm just not going to take it with the food. This food is horrible. I will not eat it, this will defile me. He takes the food, flips the plate up in the air, goes all over the floor... And walked storms out. Did he do that? Absolutely not. Because Daniel knew that that would would change how he could do things. Do you think Daniel would be living much longer if he took that stand like that? No. He chose to go about it in a very different way. In a very similar fashion to what Joseph did when he was in prison uh, back in Genesis, he gained favor with the chief official. He gained the respect of the one who would make the decisions and it was all because of God's influence. Uh, Look back with me. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief. Daniel approached Ashpenaz respectfully and quietly. He pulled him off to the side because there was something different that he knew about Daniel. There was something different that he saw in Daniel. God made sure of that. God showed him the favor that he would have over Daniel. And at this point, Daniel has a choice. He can throw a royal fit and push people away, or he can push the envelope just a little bit and do it quietly and see if something else works. Fortunately, he chooses the second because if he had chose the first, he's lost all influence that he would have. And so he says, let's try this. You test us for 10 days. For those 10 days, give us vegetables and give us water. And if we are not the same as or stronger than the other guys, then you can deal with us as we see fit, as you see fit. So as agrees, he says, okay, I'll give it a shot. You got 10 days. For Daniel, here's where the rubber meets the road. He has reached his limit. Up until this point, Daniel had been okay with the changes. As a side note, a lot of people like to hold up Daniel as this great man stood for God. And at this point, we're not there yet. We're starting to get there. We start to see it in this, in this account. But up until now, he didn't seem to be kicking and screaming when they put him on the caravan to go to Babylon. We don't sense any friction when they decided to change his name from a name that reflects Yahweh God to a name that reflects pagan gods. None of those things really affected his relationship to God. But when it came to eating this food, something clicked. And maybe it was eating that food. Maybe it went from external effects to internal effects. It became personal. By taking in this food that was not only unclean according to his religion and his upbringing because of the type of animal that it was, but it was also unclean because it it came from the worship of false gods. Or it may have been, because by taking of the king's food, by taking this next step, they're accepting defeat. They're accepting that Nebuchadnezzar won. They're accepting that pagan gods won. They're buying into the reality that appears to be around them, that Yahweh is lost and the pagan gods have won. By eating the king's food, they're making a public declaration of entering into a covenant with King Nebuchadnezzar. By eating the king's food, they would have been declaring themselves to be the king's men. But that's just not who they were. They draw the line because they are servants of a different king, a king who is enthroned in heaven, and his kingdom is not tied down to a geographical location on a map. They choose to say no because they insist on following their king. Even if it means they follow their king in Babylon, this is the first recorded exercise of faith that Daniel has shown, and this lays the groundwork and prepares Daniel for even greater acts of faith in the future. And if you've written any, if you've read any more of Daniel, you've seen those acts. It also allows the curtain to begin to be pulled back. so that the Babylonians can start to see truly how amazing God is. Now, verse 15 gives us the results at the end of these 10 days in which Daniel and his friends took part in the Daniel diet. Verse 15 also gives us a glimpse into what Daniel is beginning to see and what our third point is this morning. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego begin to see the excellence of God. I mean, look at the results of the test. Let's look at verse 15. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Now, I can assure you, back in the spring, a lot of us were fatter in flesh because we were all stuck in our homes looking at our computer screens or looking at the TV, and we just needed to snack all day. But here, it's a good thing. They were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the other youth. Not only did they keep up with the other guys, they surpassed them. Now, before you head off and start to do your Daniel fast as your new diet, let's be real. Not that there's anything wrong with eating vegetables and drinking water, but do you really think it was the diet that helped Daniel and his friends Surpass the other guys. Anyone that has tried to diet or start a healthier lifestyle knows it takes well more than 10 days to see results like these guys were seeing. It was all God. It was all God that made this happen. God helped Daniel to find favor with Ashpenaz. God gave Daniel the boldness to choose not to defile himself with the king's food and wine. It was God who provided the results after the 10 days of their special diet. Not only did the Fab Four get to remain on their special diet because of their results, they earned the respect of those leaders around them. And more importantly, did not have to compromise their relationship to God. Which allowed them to truly see the excellence of God in their continued training. I mean, look at how the chapter ends. Uh, Look at verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about, the, about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all the kingdom. Ten times better than, all the, other, than the smartest people in the land. They were ten times better than that. If that is not God showing up, I just don't know what is. God used his excellence so that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could come, would become people of influence, which would lay the groundwork in God rescuing his people to bring them back together and rebuild his kingdom. I mean, what a great story this is. If this were a movie, we would all tune in. See, Daniel overcome this kingdom that has taken them over fighting the man. And it would be easy to lift Daniel and his friends up as the heroes of the story. The one who took the stand against the evil king, Nebuchadnezzar. The one who looked adversity in the face and overcame it. But you would be wrong. As we draw things to a close today, one would think that the book of Daniel is primarily about Daniel. I mean, it makes sense. His name's on the front of the book with his three friends and their adventures in the fallen kingdom, that they would all be the heroes of that story. But that's not the case. Daniel is a book about God. Daniel spends a lot of time focusing in on his adventures and the adventures of his friends, but he pulls back often enough to remind us that there is someone working behind the scenes. And that one the true hero of this story. He's the true hero of all stories. He's the hero of this book. This is the message we need to remember as we reflect on this amazing story out of the first chapter of Daniel. Throughout our time today, we saw the constant message of God's sovereignty from the author reminding us that God is the one that handed the people of Judah over to Nebuchadnezzar to God being the one that provided the knowledge and success to Daniel. It is God who is at work through the life of Daniel. It is the same God who is at work in our lives today. This is the good news which our calls to obedience must be rooted in. We must not be rooted in the promise of some short-term payoff or a leg up from those around us. Because we have many stories in this Bible and in the Psalms Illustrate that this doesn't always go so well. That we are not rewarded for taking that stand, at least in the short term. It's difficult to obey in difficult circumstances. But we must be rooted in the good news that God is the primary actor and author of our stories, just like He was with Daniel. God is in control. Jesus' death and resurrection showed that he could even defeat sin and death. And now our king, the same king that Daniel was willing to sacrifice everything for, now sits on his throne and has all things under his feet. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, even in Babylon. When we truly believe this, then we can truly see the excellence of God, no matter what's going on around us. Which leads me to my sermon in a sentence today. When living in such confusing times, taking a stand for God allows us to see the excellence of God through our current circumstances. Because God is in control. He knows what's going on. When I had a conversation with my brother after, we, after his diagnosis had come out, I had that conversation with him, knowing that God is in control. This is no shock to God that this is happening. And so no matter what's going on around us, no matter who's in the White House, who's controlling things, who's doing anything around us, God is still in control, and he's known what's coming. And so it's our job, as followers of him, to continue to look to him and to take that stand that he is the one true God no matter what's going on in our lives. So pray with me. Father God, we do thank you. We thank you for being in control. If we were in control, it would be in far greater chaos than what's going on now. And so Lord, as we come into this time of, of closing our service, We ask that you be with us. We ask that you continue to show us your power and your sovereignty and your providence in our lives. Father, search our hearts today. And if there are areas in our lives where we continue to want to hold on to you, or we continue to want to hold on to our circumstances instead of holding on to you, Help us to release our grip, Because the only way that we can truly be free is by letting go. And so, Lord, we look to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.